Welcome to the Visceral Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Schneider. Through this podcast, I aim to bring you the most current, up-to-date research on voice science, function, pain science, movement, and everything in between. I am on a quest to learn everything I can about the living, breathing body and its intricate connection to the voice. This podcast documents the continuation of my learning and my experience as a professional singer, a nutritional consultant, a movement specialist, and a manual therapist. Join us as we strive to provide current, knowledgeable, creative, and compassionate information to help you restore, regain, and create happiness and success on your vocal journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, I have a conversation with Dr. Abby Halpin about tension. Over the summer, Abby and I were geeking out and I made a comment about tension and how I think it's really interesting that that word has such negative connotation around it, which I find to be so fascinating because we also need tension. Tension is also our friend. It's how we sit up. It's how we stand up. It's how we're bipedal against gravity. So what is tension? What is hypertension or hyperfunction? Dr. Abby said, wow, that is really interesting. What such an interesting topic. And we said, hey, maybe we should do a podcast episode around tension. So here you are, Dr. Abby and my episode on discussing tension. So a lot of times we hear the word tension and we have uh, negative thoughts around it or there's a negative connotation to it. And I just kind of wanted to chat about tension and the necessity of some different aspects of tension and just kind of open up the conversation about it a little bit. Let's just dive in and and give some thoughts about about tension and around tension. Yeah. Um, I like how you're kind of just giggling about the word tension because (laughs) it just is kind of a loaded concept for singers and musicians. I mean, I think everybody, but this is a population of people who really think about it and talk about it a lot. And it's interesting because tension at is, you know, if you look it up in like the dictionary, it's really meaning that it's loaded in a tensile way, meaning pulled taut or, or stretched tight. I mean, tight again is another word that there's too many meanings to. Then when we talk about it kind of culturally, like I have jaw tension or neck tension, or I carry my stress in my shoulder tension, we are really, what we're really describing, I think, is the ability to not be able to let go. Like something is kind of always on and ready and feeling tense. Um, And so just the fact that those two feel the same but different to me is interesting to, to begin with. We're looking for kind of what's, you know, I, I always, I do think of tightness, what's tight, what's overworking. Um, but when I think of tension, I keep, you know, I think, oh, that's so interesting because just as soon as we sit up out of bed, we have tension. We have these uh, c- 
can, well, if we talk from tensegrity, these like continuous uh, tension members or aspects that are necessary in order to have us upright and in order to allow us to move. So there is that aspect. And then, uh, and I was just mentioning to you before we started that I was on another podcast this morning, this afternoon, and they asked about tightness. And I'm like, this is so funny because Dr. Abby and I are going to talk about this today. <laughs> um, I, I think another important aspect is when, when I talk about breath and talking about a relaxed breath and then a tension breath or a biomechanical breath. And I talk about it as a tension dial based on that demand. So there's another way that I use the word tension. And I'm thinking, okay, but it's not increased or excessive tightness. It is an amount of coming back to our pressure management. It's an amount, a way of managing that pressure under a certain amount of load or demand. So there's a, there's that aspect of tension as well. And I think it's it's kind of important for us to remember that, you know, we're we're talking excessive tightness or excessive tension, but if we're just asking people to be as you know, tension-free or loosey-goosey as possible, can they actually get the excitement? Yeah, all of the aspects that are needed for either their voicing or whatever instrument that they're playing. Yeah, it, the the word engagement comes in mind. Like mm-hmm. if you if you are trying to relax everything and be kind of kind of be a puddle, you're kind of lacking the general engagement to like have kind of a more dynamic sound and connect with the piece that you're performing. And that's definitely not anybody's goal, but it is the way that we, that people are, are talking about tension is that the less of it is better. My, as usual, my way of getting around these words that drive me batty are just to not use them in the first place and just say exactly what's happening. I want you to activate your abs. I want you to turn your abs you know, or lessen the activation of your abs. I just avoid it completely for this exact reason. Because <laughs> people will say they come in and feel tense and they're absolutely right. It is a sensation also. Um, and the word tightness is a sensation, but it does not indicate whether a muscle is too short or too long. You can feel tense or tight when the muscle is living in a very, very lengthened position or a short position. And I think everybody kind of has a general idea of I feel tight and it therefore short. That seems like very um, approachable to, to people. Um, but if you take a rubber band and stretch it to its maximum, it's not going to go any further. It's tight and it's the same sensory experience as if you, you know, are a 14 year old boy and just grew six inches and your hamstrings haven't caught up yet. And therefore they feel tight um, and they're too short. So the, the interesting thing for people like you and I are that we get to figure out why does this feel tight in the first place? And it's not just let's stretch that thing because it feels tight. It's why does it feel tight? Let's figure that out and solve that problem rather than the tightness itself. And then therefore indirectly, hopefully help the 
tension feeling that they're having. Yeah. And we had mentioned on another podcast of stiffness around certain areas. And then when you were just talking about coming, you know, someone coming in and saying, I feel tense. And it's interesting to me because a lot of people will, will say, I feel tense before they'll actually say, I feel stressed. Oh, that's very true. I never thought about that. I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. And I'll start kind of asking more questions and, you know, how, what is, how are the demands of your life? What's happening? And they're like, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't think I'm stressed, but I just feel really tense. And then, you know, after a moment of thinking about it, they're like, no, I'm like, I'm super stressed, you know? <laughs> and that's something that can make us uh, activate postures that aren't aiding us in any way, right? It's just like, we're we're just kind of in this held, rigid, stiff position and not breathing and we're holding our breath when we start to get stressed and then leading to like coming in and saying, I just feel tense where all over, you know, or, or whatever, wherever. What you just described, I'm like going back in time and thinking of a whole bunch of my singer clients and how often we end up having to work on breathing into the back mm-hmm. because their backs feel tense or tight or you know whatever other words they want to describe that with. Or they don't even realize that there's a back body. Absolutely. We don't see our ribs in the back as much, right? It's, well, yeah, we have ribs back there. And so working on creating some kind of letting go elongation of the back and breathing breathing back there also can look like dealing with why we may be stuck in kind of a sympathetic fight or flight moment, which mm. is sometimes not in my scope of practice. It's good to have some teammates that can help with help with that as well. I, I love that. Of course, you had discussed, you can feel tense when something is holding short, you can feel tense when something is holding long. Um, and so we have certain areas of the body that we might see this in. You want to chat about some of those? Yes. I, my favorites are hamstrings. I'll talk about hamstrings all day, every day, especially since a lot, a lot of singers happen to be dancers. I'm not, not tons, but a lot. And they'll come in with like, they can put their leg on their face and they'll say, my hamstrings feel tight. And I'm like, well, thank goodness. <laughs> Otherwise your leg's going to break off. Um, not against having that much flexibility. I think it's important for your work as a performer, but you can feel that tension no matter how really quite flexible you can be. Um, The hamstrings are an underrated muscle group for breathing and voicing and lumbo-pelvic control. Um, They attach to your sit bones and then go down and branch to either side of the back of the knee. And when they contract, they bend the knee. That's like most people know that they can, you know, go to the gym and they put their feet on the bar and they pull the bar down and they can feel their hamstrings working. Um, but they also have significant control over how your sit bones move when your feet are on the ground. So um, if you're a weightlifter, think of deadlifts. Your hamstrings contract to pull your sit bones down so that you pop up into an upright position and hooray, lift the weight off the floor. People who tend to live in a state of really long hamstrings will be more likely to have an anterior tilt of the pelvis, 
which is when your back is arched and your belly is kind of coming forward um, and your sit bones are poking out behind you. And the way that that matters is because if you think of pelvis and rib cage as like two canisters on top of one another, if the backside is compressed down and the front side of your body is elongated and pulled pulled taut in a long position, oh boy, we're making circles with tension here, it has an effect on your diaphragm range of motion on how well you can get air in and out. Usually, can you get air into your back and out of your front? Um, and it has a direct impact on like things like vocal stability, power, endurance, how many catch breaths you might need in a phrase. Um, and so there are a lot of components to work on all at the same time. But hamstrings are often a kind of pillar muscle group when someone comes in with some of those complaints to see me to make sure that they do have some motor control over how their pelvis can move and can alternate from side to side, as we talked about in a previous podcast episode, um, without relying on other muscles to work harder or other areas of your body to absorb that compression. And again, we'll see any number. I mean, every individual is different, whether we're seeing anterior, posterior, whether we're seeing hamstrings, psoas, whether we're seeing what, what we're seeing in a body and where things are holding or, or you know, a, a great example of that would be um, not necessarily in our, well, no, true, in, in our demographic too, all the voice teachers who have been online who have been teaching online and have been in a seated position and how being in seated positions have changed um, so much of how their body is functioning and feeling through, you know, the two years, two plus years of seat sitting way more than they ever did in a studio. We as a culture have determined that sitting on the edge of the seat is proper posture. And I guess it sure does look nice. It makes you look like you're paying attention, which is good. Um, but the downside to it is most of the time people are sitting on the edge of their seat with their feet like tucked in between, you know, underneath the chair. And they're all up on the front of their sit bones into an anterior tilt. And that's another moment where their hamstrings get to get stretched long over the hip, um, even though they're sitting short in the knee. And so another moment for just kind of paying attention to what, which joints are doing what and training the correct joint in terms of the muscle contraction. Um, and somebody might be feeling tense and you're looking at the knee extension going, oh, these hamstrings are short. But if you look at the hip, they've actually been training, training, sitting um, in a long position. So just lots of different things to pay attention to. Yeah, totally. I think about on the flip side of that, I think and of course, as soon as you said it, I'm like, yep, my knees are, my feet are tucked under. I'm on a large stool right now, a high stool. My feet are tucked under. Um, and on the flip side of that, I think about it as I take uh, the bus in every day and then just sitting, if I'm sitting in front of the TV or watching people sit in front of the TV, and then they're just kind of kicking back and they're just in this posterior tilt or I'm sitting on the bus and I'm just posterior tilting, major compression down onto my spine as I'm sitting here and losing my, uh, my lumbar lordosis. Not, that's not how I was sitting right now talking to you, but I, that is sort of how the bus, the chairs on the, the seats on the bus kind of get you into that position. And I kind of look around and I'm like, how many people are sitting? I have to like watch to make sure that I'm actually 
not coming in and rounding that area forward. So, so interesting how seated, the seated position can just really mess with the pelvis in so many ways. Also, it's, it's in a way too that my pelvis isn't level left to right. So then I start feeling this sinking and rotation of my right side pelvis and my left is like, what's going on? I'm having to take on way more than I need to here. So, I mean, so much can happen around the pelvis, but it's interesting how many things can come from the seated yeah. position. It's a good argument for keeping your movement variable throughout the day, right? Because one bus ride is not going to, you know, injured, it will not make your back hurt, right? We should be allowed to slump and relax and sit on one butt cheek and then the other. Like we, you know, <laughs> all these things are totally fine as long as we don't live there all day and pigeonhole ourselves into one option because that's usually where muscles start getting cranky and joints get cranky. Um, so yeah, just a good, a good reason to not ride the bus all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Just kind of I mean, I'm talking about five hour because I have a two and a half hour commute. So I'm on the bus Ooh. for five hours. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, varying it up. And that was something that you mentioned in that in the seven pillars episode of variability. And yeah, and continuing to kind of move and move through and yeah, five hours on the bus. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, on the days I go into the city, five hours on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> So we had chatted about adding to this conversation. Should we do it? Uh, <laughs> talking about <laughs> talking about tension, um, talking about the Valsalva maneuver. I will not even pretend to know about heavy lifting. I am not a heavy lifter. I don't train anyone in heavy lifting. If someone comes to me and they want to train in heavy lifting, I will point them in the right direction. <laughs> so I do not train in heavy lifting. I am not a user of the Valsalva maneuver. Um, and in the training that I have from different practitioners, none of my mentors, <laughs> uh, all none of them uh, believe in in the importance or the use of the, the Valsalva maneuver either. So I have this very, you know, potentially skewed idea of it um, in in the world of fitness. Um, I'm not saying, you know, when you're on a plane and you're going to pop your ears, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actually using it in the realm of heavy lifting. So you do know way more about this than me. So can we talk about two Valsalva or not two Valsalva? <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a client once email me and I have literally copied his email and like saved it because I was like, this is what I want to do forever. Um, <laughs> and he was saying he was um, recreational classical singer um, who had been working with a personal trainer who'd been teaching him to lift heavier loads, which is great. Um, but his voice teacher wanted him to discontinue his strength training because they were using the Falsalva and she was noticing some uh, impact on his singing voice since he had started this. and. I think what he wanted was almost a tiebreaker, to be honest. It's like, what do I do? And I want to do both. And can I? Or should I just assume I can't do these two activities at the same time? Um, which, number one, you can. I do. I am a singer and I'm a weightlifter. <laughs> um, you absolutely can. Valsalva itself is not as helpful as people think it is. And so 
I kind of just say, are you lifting for the Olympics? Then maybe we just need to chill out on it and learn to stabilize our trunks using all of the wonderful muscles that can do that. Um, Now, if you're lifting for gold, sure, there's something to be said about adding abdominal and kind of thoracic pressure and being able to drive all your power, you know, say if you're squatting through the floor so you can lift the weight back up. I get it. Um, And you wouldn't want to only do it you know, in that one lift, you'd want to train for it. But just not that many of us are in that category. And there is so much benefit out of lifting heavy stuff that you don't need to do the Valsalva in order to lift the heavy stuff. You can exhale while you exert. (laughs) And you will be able to lift very heavy things just fine. (laughs) Are you able to kind of talk about what you said back to this Yeah. Um, Yeah. We spent some time working on um, just general lifting technique overall. I honestly think that was impacting him more than the Valsalva use um, because he was, um, I mean, I I generally don't, I'm not very strict on technique unless something is wrong. Um, I think we should be able to lift things in a myriad of different ways. But there were some things that he was really not able to hinge at his hips very well. Um, and was doing a lot of like glute and pelvic floor gripping when he was trying to hinge. And that's why I was kind of like, honestly, I think this is the problem more than the Valsalva itself, but let's fix both of these things. Cause both of them are contributing to a pressure canister problem. Um, and so we worked through some of his just general lift techniques like deadlift squat, um, presses, push-ups, and at the same time, tried to work on training his exhalation so that it wasn't so pressurized um, and trying to be kind of like in through your nose, loose lips out as you lift so that it was nice and like air was flowing and he was getting a good abdominal contraction to stabilize his trunk. Because the point of a Valsalva is to create pressure down to stabilize your abdomen. Um, so that you can press through load faster and harder. So I get it, but you can do it in so many other ways that you don't have to do the Vesalva to do it. What was the amount of load that this patient was trying to? Um, he was kind of in like a moderate, um, in like, I mean, I think over time he, he can lift much heavier than what he was doing. Um, I think he was stymied by his own um, just technique. I think he was probably deadlifting like maybe 150 pounds. So clo- close to his weight potentially. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Given his general size, like I don't think it, the weight was the problem. I think it was gluteal gripping, pelvic floor gripping, and then covering that with a Valsalva and not breathing. And so just creating all kinds of pressure in his torso and then also basically taking away, like you can get a lot of breathing training out of using weightlifting for singing and he wasn't getting it because he was essentially kind of holding his breath while he was doing the hardest part of the lifts everything that you just talked about was exactly how (laughs) how I think of it how I hear it from different mentors of mine colleagues of mine um that it's not unless you're like olympic training it's really not necessary I mean, it's certainly not necessary in lifting loads that I'm helping people lift, which is, you know, getting up close to 
Um, I mean, we're still way under even body weight load. So, you know, no way am I ever talking. I never talk about Valsalva. I'll actually ask people to do the opposite of, you know, make sure the glottis stays open. We're inhaling, move through. Okay. And now we're continuing to go ahead and control the pressure loss. Yeah. Moving into what you were describing that biomechanical breath. Breathe out when you're pushing against load and you'll probably be okay. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for joining me again. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you and yay. And until next time. (laughs) Yay. Can't wait. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell your colleagues, students, and friends, subscribe, rate, and please write a review. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook, and feel free to check out my website at www.thevisceralvoice.com for information on programs and upcoming events. I hope you join us next time for another wonderful conversation on The Visceral Voice. Mm -hmm.